Welcome to Film School Radio, the on-air online showcase for the best in independent documentary and foreign films every Friday morning from 9 to 10 a.m. Pacific and online at filmschoolradio.com. I'm your host, Mike Kaspar. Production designer Judy Becker is one of thousands of gifted artists who have made crucially important contributions to the world's most iconic films. But their work often flies under the radar in large part because film critics and others don't often lavish the attention they give to directors and stars on the work of a film's production design. But these production designers, sometimes unheralded art, consist of nothing less than building the world of a movie and in the process do a great deal to create those distinct cinematic environments that one wants to visit again and again. And we're joined today by the production designer who's worked on such films as American Hustle, Carol, Silver Linings Playbook, Hitchcock, and so many others. Judy Becker, welcome to Film School Radio. Thank you for having me. In terms of working with directors, you work with Ang Lee on Brokeback Mountain, you work with Todd Haynes on I'm Not There, you work with David O. Russell extensively, beginning with The Fighter, Silver Linings Playbook, American Hustle and, and others. What is the approach? How do they differ? How do, what is it that they have in common and how do you go about in collaborating with them? One of the great things about working with different but very talented directors, and, and I'm, a, I'm a director-driven designer. I choose projects on the basis of the director um, for the most part. There's directors I want to work with. I seek them out. I try to get work with them. Or something happens to, you know, some sometimes some my agent pitches something and I realize that I really want to work with that director. But I am, it's the director's everything to me. And every talented director is different. So the collaboration is different in, in each case. And so what the first time I'm working with someone, there's a bit of a learning curve. I'm trying to understand how they think about the visual filmmaking that that they do and how to communicate with them what's the best way to communicate with them are they do they visualize or not i mean there's there's so many factors that go into it and for example david and todd are two extremely different filmmakers and and my way of working with them is very different and it's customized to those filmmakers so i would say that as a general statement I try to work only with directors who I really respect, and then I'm totally open to their process and well, and how they like to work. So well, between I, the two, well, between the two, is there a longer production sort of pre-production schedule? Do they are they are, are they on a tighter? Do they feel like do you do they give you this is the era? I mean, I'm let's pick let's pick Joy because you had mentioned Joy or yeah. yeah. Um, or Silver Linings Playbook. Let's go with yeah. Silver Linings Playbook because yeah. I've watched that so many times. I can yeah. tell you. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah. So let's say something like that. So what was that pre-production like with, for you and David O. Russell? Well, I'd already been working with David for a long time at that point. So when you've worked with a director a lot, like I have with David, you 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 have a shorthand with them, and you know what will work with um, presenting ideas and what won't. And um, David sometimes has very specific ideas of things he wants. And sometimes he's very open to me. He usually is working. He, he he often has a big influence on his filmmaking. For example, with Joy, 
he talked a lot about Paper Moon and not literally because, first of all, Joy wasn't black and white and it, it was a period piece, but not a, a real long period piece. I mean, it wasn't didn't take place that long ago. And um, but it was more the feel of the movie that he wanted to capture. And and so with David, I present a lot of ideas and and show him a lot of visual reference and, and talk to him a lot because David really comes alive when he's actually directing. So during the prep period, it, I would say I'm generating a lot of material for him to consider and think about, and, and then we execute it. Todd comes to the project in a completely different way. Todd has a very strong idea of how he wants the movie to look. He plans out really in amazing detail each of the crafts and how they're going to work together. And so he, he'll he come to the project with a lookbook and with a lot of ideas about the look. And then as a group, me and the DP and the costume designer will work with him to expand on that. And of course, I bring my own take to it. You know, I think that Todd's worked with different designers. And I think if you looked at the movies I've designed for him and the movies other people have designed for him, you would see differences. So everybody works with someone in a different way. And I definitely bring my my authorship to it, I would say. <laughs> and ev so every director is really, really different. And some of them focus, some of, like David is amazing with blocking actors and that's how he thinks. And so when I scout for David, for example, I sometimes videotape us playing out the scene in the location so he can see how the actors can move in the space. And before he goes to visit the location, he wants to see that. And a really fun example was on The Fighter, at one point, there's, I think, 11 people in the in a living room. It's when all the sisters are having a sit down with their mother and Mark Wahlberg and Amy Adams, and they're all judging her. Yes. And so I had, and we shot that in a real house in Lowell, Massachusetts. So I had to, there's a house I loved, but I had to prove that 11 people could sit in that living room, like, you know, like, and, and it would make sense. So I pulled furniture into the living room and I took and and me and the location manager took photos of me sitting in various positions <laughs> to show that 11 people could sit there and um and we ended up shooting in that house so it worked and i thought it looked really good so uh, well let's back up a half a step here when i say production designer and i for me it evokes the idea what is the film quote unquote look like yes like and there are certain films in fact i there's very few of the truly great films that have ever been made where you can't say you you can't think of it and not think of a look like the godfather you're yeah, thinking of, of a yeah. look yeah. so what what would that break that down for me what is what does that mean for you it's very it's a complicated thing to explain the truth is i am creating a world for each movie there so even if the movie takes place in even if it's a biopic for example, a biopic about Truman Capote, and it takes place in the 1950s. And we have a lot of reference to show what his life looked like. I'm still going to adjust the reality to create a world for the movie. So even if it's completely based on fact, fact as we know it, the movie is different from reality. So you want to create a movie that has its own feeling and something maybe that you can't even pinpoint but when you think of it when you think of like silver linings for example um i definitely worked very hard on the look of that movie but i think it looks very natural so people might not realize how designed it is and that takes a huge effort in a sense but you want to capture the story 
uh, visually, basically. And I do that through a lot through palette, through color palette. Yeah, I mean, that's a big part of it. And also there's just in every movie, there's a different level of realism or stylization. Um, but in every case, even if I'm designing Ratchet, which was a miniseries I did for Ryan Murphy, and it's a it's a prequel to One Flew Over the Cuckoo's Nest, and it was extremely stylized. It took place in a mental asylum that was supposed to look like a luxury hotel. But even in that case, I made a huge effort to make it look realistic as opposed to like a set or like a installation or like look at the design in this in this miniseries. Um, I really sometimes the design is important and you want people to think, wow, that insane asylum looks amazing. But what I don't want is for them to think, wow, look at that production design. Um, mm -hmm. That if if that's what they're looking at for a lot of the movie, then I feel like I didn't achieve my goal, which is to create a world that flows with all of the other crafts of the movie and the script and the actors and the storytelling. It's all in service of the film. Well, that leads us into this uh, part of our conversation about the program at Metrograph. Yeah. And some of the films that you, I, I mistakenly said Brokeback was your, uh, was your film. I apologize for that. But oh, no, no Brokeback is my film. Oh, I'm sorry. What did I say? I said Carol. it wrong the first time and I, I can't Carol. remember. I'm sorry. You, said Carol. you said Carol and Carol. That was it. I'm sorry. But the Carol, reason that, that Carol is not part of the program is they, they show Carol every year at Christmas time. And oh, I did a Q&A okay. for Carol then. So. <laughs> okay. Well, let me, let me edit all that out. So, okay. So um, let's talk about Walkabout um, and Rosemary's Baby and and the last picture show these are films that you were not uh, the production designer on but what was it about those that that just sort of stood out for you as a production designer walkabout was very specifically related to brokeback mountain um and when i read brokeback mountain um it immediately came to mind because of the contrast between the freedom in nature and the restrictions in society and most of walkabout takes place in nature and it's only at the very end that you see the um, female protagonist and terrible with names um in in the future in what looks like a high rise in a pretty dismal looking urban environment and you can see that she's remembering that time in her life when i first saw that movie that moment was so devastating to me emotionally um i really felt it and it it just I don't know what it triggered in me, but it was it was horrible and sad and depressing. But I, I really felt the whole meaning of that movie from that last moment. And so when I read Brokeback Mountain, that was the first movie I thought about um, was Walkabout because of of what happens in, in Brokeback with the contrast between Jack and Ennis's freedom in nature and their happiness in nature, um, even when they don't realize it, and then what happens to them when they're back in society. Yeah. Uh, by the way, Walkabout is uh, Nicholas Rogue uh, from 1971. So it's a film that goes back a ways. But yeah. there's a there's a director who had a who always had a very distinctive look in his films. Yes. Yeah. Performance and yeah, some yeah. others that were. And some yeah. of them are more designy looking than others i would yeah. say walkabout is not i mean it, partly because it takes you know place in the jungle uh, or i don't know if you call it the jungle in australia but yeah. but um the outback is that is that the outback right the outback <laughs> but um I think that 
and it's interesting because in Brokeback Mountain, a lot of it takes place outdoors. And there was a lot of thought that went into choosing those locations and into changing those locations and into tweaking them. And when I first met with Ang, my very first meeting with him when I was trying to get the job, he said, I'd like to shoot this in Montana, in the Rocky Mountains in America, but it's cheaper to shoot it in Canada. So how can you make the Rockies in Canada look like the Rockies in, in the United States? And he was serious. And um, I should say also that I had never done a period movie before, and I had never done a movie that had a lot of exteriors before. Mm-hmm. But uh, I obviously was quick enough on my feet. So, um, you know, so I talked about how we would change the greens and and do research and compare them. And, and we did. I mean, we did bring in greens to make it look more like the United States or to make it look more like it should for the story. Um, We spent a lot of time scouting the locations. Um, We built all those campsites, you know, um, very specifically in specific places. And so a lot of work went into the exterior scenes, to, but to make them look completely natural. And then, of course, there's all the scenes in the towns and in society that were completely in production designed in a sense and and it was period so and in Canada so we had to make it look like Wyoming I think it was Wyoming and um but we had to make it look like the United States in in basically in 1960 so and that was a challenge in itself but I I remember um meeting on a movie not that long after I had done Brokeback Mountain and it was the producer and the director and the producer said to me well what did you do on Brokeback anyway it was all mountains and I thought I did so much. And then why am I here if you don't realize <laughs> what I did on Brokeback Mountain? <laughs> so. Is there a genre of film that you are drawn to or more excited to be working in? It, it's and I'll just say this off sure. completely off the cuff here, in the sense that it seems like the horror fantasy genre would be the would be a a virtual playground for someone who does production design is, or are you drawn to, is there any specific kind of film? Yeah. I I mean, I like, I I think I'm really drawn to dramas and um, the straight dramas, you know, and I'm really drawn to the kinds of movies I like to watch, you know, Mm -hmm. and, and I also think that the production design for a drama is more important than for really almost any other kind of movie, because you have to, you have to make sure the audience is invested in the characters and the story. And you want that world to feel as real and as right as it can. So the challenge is greater. I say that there are genres where the production design really isn't important in romantic comedies, for example, like nobody really cares what they look like. They, they just have to be, or a comedy, they just have to be funny. You know, some of the funniest comedies, they don't look that good, but it doesn't matter because they're <laughs> hilarious, you know. So, and so I've tried to avoid comedies in a sense because because of that. But it's also, I really am drawn to dramatic material, and um, and and it's really what I like to watch. And probably we need to talk about Kevin. Is there you the go? I was just going to ask you about this. Yeah, yeah. the yeah. closest to a a horror film I've done, but it's still completely rooted in reality. You know, I mean, it's a story that sadly is is like a true story it's not a true story that that it's based on a novel but it could be a true story so um, it examines that that situation in a fictional way but that's something that really happens parents have children that become murderers you know and and it's it's fascinating to examine it i think 
Absolutely. And yeah, that was a riveting and in so many different ways. Tilda Swindon was, as usual, remarkable in that film. She yeah. is an amazing actor. Amazing. Yeah. Well, let's again, let's let's just go back to the to the Metrograph series and congratulations on on being there and on being celebrated. Thank you. It is an, as you said, it, I'm glad you are there to be representative of so many people who are below the line who don't yeah. normally get the attention that they deserve. And uh, yeah, and one other kind of question about sort of the the sausage making of film. Uh, <laughs> cinematographers got to be one of the most important relationships you have on set as the director does with the cinematographer. Yes. Yes. You as well must have yes. uh, just an absolute simpatico kind of uh, connection. Yes. Yeah. Well, hopefully when yeah. that, when it, when it's, when it's a good connection, it's a good connection. You yeah. know, it's always a good connection, but usually it is. And yes, I work very, it's an odd collaboration because I'm always, I always start ahead of everybody. I start, you know, I have like three months of prep usually. So the cinematographer usually doesn't start until halfway through that at the earliest. And so I'm picking locations and talking about the look of the movie with the director and, you know, I, I will have met the DP if I don't know them already and and talk to them about things that they how they like to light and things they like to avoid and, and all of that. Often they're not like physically on the ground and involved until I'm sort of halfway through prep. So there's always that point at which we have to rethink things because, you know, I know a lot about the needs of a cinematographer and and I adjust it for each cinematographer I work with. But it is a really important collaboration. And also with most most contemporary DPs, there's a lot of emphasis on practical lighting, which means using the lights that are on the set as set dressing to light the scene. So that's an area where sometimes we're actually, I'm helping pick the lamps that will be lighting the set. And, and so that's a that's a literal collaboration. To the point where we even joke, like, let's just let's take all the lamps out of the the DP's budget. You know, they always have more money. <laughs> that kind of collaboration is one of the best parts of working in film for me. You know, it's not always a good. It's there. There's been instances when it just hasn't been a good collaboration, like a bad date or something. But most of the time, I've loved working with the DPs I've worked with, and I don't think my job would be fun or interesting if it was just. I get to decide everything. The fun part is I like this. He likes that. He likes that. Let's work it out together to create a vision, you know, and that's really what teamwork is. Teamwork isn't a bunch of people doing what someone else says. It's like listening to each other's ideas and working together to, to make the movie. I can't emphasize enough how great that is when it, when it works, you yeah. know, when, when it's a good team and a good leader and the director is the leader. And it's just, it's the best kind of work I could ever have hoped for. Like, seriously, it's, it's, it's great. As you became a production designer prior to that, you went to law school, you yeah. got out, you started yeah. that down that road, but earlier in your life, you, in high school, I believe you were part of a, part of a artistic enterprise. Yeah. Well, yeah, I, I wrote about that. Um, I, when I went to high school, I went to a high school that had a really, really interesting drama department. It wasn't the nerdy kids. It was the cool kids that were involved with the drama yeah. department. And our teachers were really experimental and fascinating and taught us all about different kinds of theater. 
And I got involved with that. I don't remember how it happened, but my my freshman year and I loved it. You know, it, it was the thing I would get through my classes and then go to the drama department and hang out for hours. And yeah. um, and I didn't care what I did, you know, like I, I helped design the sets, but it wasn't because I wanted to be a set designer. It was like if I didn't get a part in the play, I would do something else. And um, it was so important to me for like the first, I'd say the first three years of high school. And it was the first time in my life. I mean, it's, that sounds crazy to talk about when you're 13, but I'd already, I mean, my life had already started. I mean, I, I have a long memory. So, you know, I remember from when I was three. So it, at the age of 13 or 14 was when I discovered that working on an artistic project with other people really made me happy. I mean, it just was really fulfilling and a wonderful feeling. And I was really made me the happiest I'd ever been to that yeah. point in my life. And it took me a while to recapture that after high school. But when I did, it was um, after law school, it was just, I, it was like, yeah, I found it again. Like, this is what I was meant to do. You know, it's funny because when you're in high school, those you are exposed to those kinds of things. And yeah. and I had a similar, not exactly like what you're describing, but a similar experience in high school. It was like, you were told, well, that's, if you're having that much fun, you're probably not going to be able to make a living doing it. So yeah. you got you got to find something practical, quote unquote, practical. Right, right. I think so many people are diverted from their joy into something that they're told that they need to be practical. And I think that's really true. Yeah. Yeah. Sorry. Yeah. Yeah. No. And there's and there's nothing wrong with being practical. And there are people right. that want to be that way. And, and but I regret truly regret not having kind of followed that that sort of that impulse. I eventually found it in something else. I got involved in politics, believe it or not. Yeah. And I found a lot of joy in working with people that I wanted to work yeah. with, which is a collaborative effort. If there ever yeah. was one. That, working yeah. in a campaign is a collaborative effort and, as well. Uh, a more important one than working on a movie. So, well, thank you for saying that. But uh, yeah, so I understand that impulse to, and but then also being told, like like Benjamin in The Graduate, right? Yeah, you know, yeah. you you can't yeah. do that because it's got to be plastics, yeah. right? So, yeah. uh, I I'm so glad I'm so glad we had a chance to to get to to talk to you about this because could, could I add something to what you're just yeah. saying because. Yeah. I think that that's one of the reasons programs like this one at the Metrograph are so important because actually working on the crew on a movie is achievable, you know, and you not everyone maybe is going to be a production designer, but there's so many other great jobs working in film and it's really fulfilling. It pays well. It's you people can learn how to do it and do it. I mean, I learned on the job, you know, so I think that nobody talk, everybody wants to be a screenwriter or a director or an actor, but there's a lot of other career opportunities in film that are not, I think, as widely known as they could be. And and I think that educating people about that and educating young people about that and about the options that are not just being a screenwriter or a director, but can still be wonderful jobs and careers, I think it's really important. Thank you. I wish I'd heard that <laughs> when I was 15. Uh, but, I know. You know, it is. Know. It's, it's, and I, again, your parents want you to do the right thing and all that. But yeah, yeah it's it, follow your bliss. You know, I've heard yeah. it. We've all heard it said. Yep. We don't always act on it, but I'm so glad you followed your eventually. You found eventually, your, your place. Yeah. Thank you. You've been a part of some wonderful films. So congratulations. And uh, as I talked to you before we got started, 
so many of those David O. Russell films are just so well done on so many different levels. And uh, to see your work in them, I can, I, as I, as I scan my memory, I can, I can appreciate it even more. So Judy Becker, thank you so very much for spending some time with us here on Film School Radio. Thank you so much. Bye. It was nice to meet you. You've been listening to Film School Radio, the on-air online showcase for the best in independent documentary and foreign films. You can find out more about the program at filmschoolradio.com. I'm your host, Mike Kaspar. Thank you for tuning in, and we'll see you next week with another edition of Film School Radio. 